you bless this time in a study of your word, that you would just, um, Lord, right now, just uh, have our hearts be attentive in our ears. Um, it took effort to get here today uh, in this cold and dark and uh, with roads being icy. So I thank you for those who are here and we safely got here. And Lord, the time of worship that we've had. And Lord, now we want to just glean from your word and uh, learn and be comforted and instructed. And, and Lord, we just want to see your faithfulness once again. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. So just kind of by way of review where we were at last time, uh, where we left off in chapter 28, that you recall that Ahaz, that he was uh, reigning in um, Jerusalem over the house of Judah. And he comes on the scene in about 735 B.C. Now the reason that I'm giving you that date is because a couple significant things were happening at that time. Number one was that the Assyrians up north, that they were beginning to flex their muscles. They were ones that uh, were becoming the, the new world power. And so they were making their way southward and beginning to take cities and overtake countries. And it was Syria and, and the house of Israel that was going to be the next target for the Assyrians. And the Assyrians, as you know, if you uh, have read anything about them historically, they were very, very cruel. They were ones that they would torture people. Uh, they would uh, line the streets with corpse, with people hanging on them, uh, the corpse on poles, that is. Uh, so when people came by, they knew that the Assyrians were there. They put fish hooks in people's mouths and drug them off uh, to Assyria in captivity. So they were not nice at all. And that's one of the reasons when you read the book of Jonah, that Jonah was t- told to go to Nineveh, the capital of the Assyrians, and to give the message of, of um, God's grace and um, to repent. And we know that Jonah, uh, instead of going there, he hated the Assyrians. He got on the boat to go to Tarshish, the other direction. And he didn't go the other direction away from Nineveh because he was afraid of them. He hated them because they were so cruel. So the Assyrians being very cruel, they're, they're beginning to, to expand their empire And we know that in 732 B.C., the two and a half tribes on the east side of the Jordan River, now remember that the house of Israel, those ten northern tribes on the east side of the Jordan River, that there was the tribe of Gad. Uh, That's where you recall that Jesus in the gospel narratives, that he went on the east side of the Sea of Galilee to the area of the what? Gadarenes. And that's where he encountered uh, that man who was demon-possessed. And then all the demons would come out of him and uh, go into the swine. And they went over the cliff into the Sea of Galilee. That's where the tribe of Gad was. And then the tribe of Reuben and half of the tribe of Manasseh. So all on the east side of the Jordan River. So here comes Assyria, and they take them off into captivity first. And we know that it would be eventually in about 722 B.C. that the rest of the house of Israel would be taken off into captivity as well. So here is Ahaz. He's in Judah. He's a very wicked king, isn't he? He was one that plunged the nation deep into all kinds of idol worship, uh, cultic practices of every kind, every kind of occultic kind of practice, worshiping the stars, the moons. Uh, he was one that they even would pass their sons on the arms of Moloch um, there in the Gehenna Valley. So he brought great, great harm spiritually to the house of Judah. And we know that the Lord was bringing judgment on the house of Judah at that time. 
Because what happened was a couple things. That the house of Israel came down and, and plundered the cities of Judah and took many off into captivity. Many died because of the attack of the house of Israel. But as we put 2 Kings chapter 16 together with Isaiah chapter 7, also what was happening that that reason who was the king of Syria and Pekah who was the king of Israel, they formed this alliance. And what they want to do is they want to come against Jerusalem and they want to kill Ahaz and they want to set up their own king on the throne of of Judah. And the reason that they wanted to do that is because they thought if we have Judah, we have Israel and Syria, maybe we can form this three-nation alliance and we can come against Assyria and try to stop them because they're a real threat to us. And so in Isaiah chapter 7, as we looked at that last time very briefly, it was Isaiah the prophet that's on the scene at this time right now. He's ministering, trying to at least, to the house of Judah, prophesying, and he would come to Ahaz as Ahaz was very much afraid and the people were very frightened what was going on um, as uh, this attack came against Judah and and they could not though prevail against Jerusalem the rest of the country was being plundered and, and being taken over and many were taken off into captivity as we know from chapter 16 of 2nd Kings and also as we see here uh, in chapter 28 of 2nd Chronicles so it wasn't good times at all but Isaiah comes and says Ahaz listen that you're not going to be killed uh, they're not going to prevail against you and Ahaz refused to turn to the Lord and so what Ahaz did, because his heart wasn't right with the Lord, because he rebelled against the Lord, didn't want anything to do with the true God of Israel, that he makes an alliance with the Assyrians. He takes some of the gold and the silver out of the treasuries of the house of the Lord. He pays off the king of Assyria to go and attack Syria. And so that's what Tiglath-Pileser does, the king of Assyria at that time. He attacks Damascus. He kills uh, Reason, the king of Syria. Uh, he's there in Damascus sitting on his throne. And what Ahaz does, and he goes up to see him. And it was very, very unusual for any king to go and see another king uh, make a visit like that. But what that was was kind of an act of submission. You know what? Uh, thank you, and, um, and I paid you off, and thank you for doing this. I'm submitted to you, king of Assyria. And the king of Assyria is sitting on the throne there in Damascus, and he has this idol that's uh, set up. And Ahaz sees it, and he goes, I like that idol. I want one of those. So he has the high priest make a copy of it and bring it to Jerusalem to put into the temple of uh, Jerusalem, Solomon's temple. And so that's how bad the nation was plunged into idol worship and all kinds of spiritual depravity and wickedness and immorality that was involved with that false worship. So Ahaz, we also know that the Edomites came against Judah and the Philistines. So it was just a very, very terrible, terrible time. The house of Israel eventually would go off into captivity, as I mentioned, in about 722 B.C., and Ahaz, his reign would end about 720, 715 B.C. And at that time, we see that the nation is going through very difficult times. They had been plundered. Uh, we know that the Assyrians are knocking on their door because the Assyrians, as we continue through Second Chronicles, are going to come now into Judah. 
And so it doesn't look good for Judah right now. And now as we open up, we see that Hezekiah comes on the scene after his father Ahaz. And let's begin to read about that in chapter 29. As Hezekiah became king when he was 25 years old, and he reigned 29 years in Jerusalem, his mother's name was Abijah, the daughter of Zechariah. And he did what was right in the sight of the Lord, according to all that his father David had done. So here is Hezekiah. And I think that next to David, Hezekiah was probably the outstanding king of Judah. Because as we read here, he did what was right before God. And we also know as we read the parallel account in Second Kings chapter 18, for you who like to jot down notes, that what made him an outstanding king, what uh, made Hezekiah in that he pleased the Lord and he prospered because uh, that he uh, was one that um, was a godly king, but he did what was right uh, before God. Uh, and we also know that as we look at Second Kings chapter 18, that there are some other characteristics of Hezekiah that made him a successful king or a good king of Judah, and God would bless him. We know that, second of all, that he removed the high places and broken pieces, uh, all the idols, and that would include the bronze serpent. Now, we talked about the high places. The high places were places of worship, of false worship. And in that false worship, they were worshiping idols, and there was all kinds of immorality that was taking place. And some of the good kings that were of Judah, sometimes they would leave those places, those high places, for the people to go back and worship. And sometimes they would use those high places uh, to worship the Lord, but other times it was a temptation for them to go back to idol worship. So we have talked about quite extensively that it's real important for you and for me as Christians that we get rid of those places of temptation, the high places in our own lives, those places where we might want to hang out or, um, or things that we might want to watch. That is nothing but uh, brings temptation and carnality and sin uh, because we're meddling with those things. So he got rid of it. He got rid of the high places. Matter of fact, he even got rid of the bronze serpent um, that was broken in pieces. And the people, obviously, um, in their desire to get closer to God, they were worshiping that bronze serpent. What was the bronze serpent? Well, it's a reference to Numbers chapter 21. When Moses was in the wilderness with the children of Israel, towards the end of that 40-year you know, wandering in the wilderness, the people were complaining once again. And so some serpents came out and began to bite the people. They were dying, and they cried out to Moses. And Moses cried out to the Lord. And the Lord said to Moses, make a bronze serpent, put it on a pole, and put it in the middle of the camp. And if the people look at the bronze serpent, then they will be healed. So apparently that was saved throughout the years, uh, hundreds of years. Again, this is 7, uh, you know, 20 B.C., uh, about that time. Uh, Moses is about 1500 uh, B.C. So all those years they kept that bronze serpent, and apparently they were worship, worshiping it. So he gets rid of it because it ended up being an idol worship uh, kind of deal. And it's interesting that how uh, people who are Christians... Uh, that if they're not careful, and if we're not careful, we can be drawn to relics and the objects to try to bring us closer to the Lord when we can just e experience and have that 
wonderful, spirit-filled relationship and closeness with the Lord. Uh, it's kind of sad um, seeing last week that uh, the Catholic Church, the Pope, brought out this box that they uh, have made, they've had for hundreds of years, obviously, but um, they brought it out of their archives and um, it has nine bone fag- fragments that supposedly belong to Peter. And, and they bring it out, and the Pope's kissing the box, and, you know, the people are looking at this thing, and everybody's all excited. How they could ever know that it belonged to Peter, I don't know, but that's what they claim. But it was this relic, this object that brought people, you know, apparently uh, closer to God. And, and we need to be careful in those areas that, um, that we don't have things that become idols and relics and objects, that we've got to have this thing to feel close to the Lord. Um, we are to, to just come to Him and enjoy Him, that personal relationship with Him. So anyway, we know that He did what was right before the Lord. He removed the high places. We also know that Hezekiah, he trusted in the Lord. In other words, he didn't trust in the Assyrians like his father did. And it was Ahaz that even though he paid off the enemy and said, here's gold and silver from the treasuries of the house of the Lord, that it was the Assyrians that took the goods, but they continued to make their way towards Judah and didn't heed Ahaz and wasn't a help to him. One of the things that we need to always remember is don't make a peace treaty with the enemy because he wants to rip you off and he wants to, to make your life miserable. And uh, so don't make a compromise or a peace treaty with him. Trust in the Lord. Don't trust in the world. Don't be trusting in the enemy and what he has to offer you because he's a liar and a deceiver. So it was Hezekiah. He was blessed of the Lord. Uh, He was uh, one that prospered uh, before the Lord because he did what was right before God. He removed the high places. Number three, he trusted in the Lord. Number four, he held fast to the Lord. In other words, he stayed close to the Lord. He continued to abide in the Lord. And that's what Jesus told us as Christians that we are to do. We are to abide in Christ. He wants us to stay close to him, be connected to him. So hold fast to the Lord um, and stay close to him. And then fifthly, he didn't depart from following the Lord, as Second Kings chapter 18 tells us. But he kept his commandments. And you and I were called to holiness, of course, as Christians, to keep his commandments and to follow after the Lord. And I like what in the scriptures that you see it written that uh, for Caleb, who was one of uh, Joshua's contemporaries, you know. Him and Joshua were the ones that um, told the nation as the 12 spies came back there in Numbers chapter 13. You remember it was the 10 spies that said, we can't go into the promised land. There's giants there. And it was Joshua and Caleb that said, uh, we can go into the promised land. Who cares if the giants are there? Because the Lord has promised us to give us this land. So let's go get them. And we'll gobble him up for lunch. And it was Caleb at the end of his life when he's 85, when he goes to war against the giants, that it says that he wholly followed the Lord. And that's what I want in my life, to just wholly follow the Lord and to follow after his commandments and and desire to please him with my life. And then sixthly, it says that um, Hezekiah did not serve the enemy. So those are six qualities or characteristics that would bring prosperity to the nation and blessing to Hezekiah as the king. And it says that he prospered wherever he went. 
and you and I will as well spiritually as we have those six characteristics that are being worked out in our lives as well. So here comes Hezekiah. The nation really needs a man like Hezekiah to come on the scene. In verse 3, in the first year of his reign, in the first month, he opened the doors of the house of the Lord and repaired them. Now, this afternoon as I was uh, reading this again and looking at it, I think the Lord just kind of ministered something to me um, that I hope is a blessing to you, that the other kings that were good kings that um, brought blessings, such as Uzziah, um, was one of them. And Uzziah was one that, uh, again, he came on the scene when he was young at a time that the nation was going through a very difficult time. And it says he did what was right before the Lord, and he fortified the cities, and, and he built towers, and uh, he raised up a huge army. And we're going to see that Hezekiah, that he does some of those things, but here we see something that I hope that we don't miss, and I think it's worth mentioning, that in the first month, right away, in other words, when he's reigning, what he does is he opened the doors of the house of the Lord, and he is going to repair the house of the Lord and bring that spiritual reform. And he made that a priority in his ruling over uh, Judah. As he was king, he says, here's the priority for us. We're going to open up the doors you know, to the house of the Lord. His father, in the previous chapter, in verse 24 of chapter 28, Ahaz shut the doors of the house of the Lord and made for himself altars in every corner of Jerusalem, it says. Here is Hezekiah that says, uh-uh, we're going to clear out the idols, we're going to clear out the rubbish, we're going to restore the temple, we're going to open up the doors of the temple. And I believe that truly was what brought strength and prosperity to the nation and why God blessed Hezekiah because he said that the spiritual things are going to be a priority. And I hope that that encourages you and me that we need to make spiritual things in our relationship and with the Lord a priority in our lives. We can get so busy in making a living and you know, trying to uh, fortify our you know, bank accounts or whatever it might be, but here's the thing. Always make your relationship and your uh, devotion to the Lord and your service to the Lord the priority. And I commend you guys for coming to this house of the Lord on a Wednesday night um, because you want to be here. I know you do because otherwise you wouldn't have come out in the snow and in the cold. And continue to do that. And as you do, I believe that the Lord's going to bless you tremendously. So here he does. Um, he, he didn't put other things as a priority. Yes, he's going to do the practical things that he needs to do to help the nation but he's focusing on the spiritual revival that, and reforms that need to happen. In verse 4, then he brought the priests and the Levites and gathered them in the east square. Now, just a quick review, because I know most of you know this, but sometimes I'll get asked this, who are the Levites and who are the priests? Again, that the Levites, that tribe, um, that they were the priestly tribe. And it was the Levites that um, did not come and get area of land when Joshua came into the promised land. Instead, the Lord said that you Levites, you will not get an inheritance. I'm your inheritance. But what it was, there was 48 cities throughout all of Israel that were Levitical cities. And so it was all within a day's walk of anyone in Israel to go to a city of the Levites to be ministered to. And the Levites had three families. 
There's the Maronites, the Gershonites, and Kohathites. And in Numbers chapter 4, what we see is they had responsibilities in helping the priests. Now, the priests were the direct descendants of Aaron. The priests were the ones, as you look at the book of Leviticus, that did the sacrifices. They're the ones that are allowed into the tabernacle, into the temple, to do ministry there, to burn altar of incense, uh, to burn that incense. Uh, They would light the seven-branch menorah. They would change the bread on the, uh, you know, shoe bread table. So the priests, the direct descendants of Aaron's, and then every priest was from the tribe of Levite. Not every Levite was a priest because they had those families. I kind of see the Levites as kind of similar to deacons in the New Testament. The Levites would roll up their sleeves, and we know that they had certain responsibilities, those three families in Numbers chapter 4. Then when you get to 1 Chronicles chapter 23, David changes their responsibility because the temple is going to be built. And so they have to do all manner of service, as 1 Chronicles tells us. They did all kinds of things, and washing pans, and getting things ready for the priests. And I believe that the Lord desires for us, in a way, all of us, to be Levites, uh, to be servants. That's what that word deacon in the New Testament means, to be servant. It just means a servant, a servant of God. And for us to be, you know, used of the Lord in whatever gifts he's given to you and whatever opportunities uh, and uh, that he's given you to minister. So here are the Levites that he calls, and he gathers them in the east square, and the priests as well. And verse 5, and he said to them, Hear me, Levites, now sanctify yourselves, sanctify the house of the Lord God of your fathers, and carry out the rubbish from the holy place. For our fathers have trespassed and done evil in the eyes of the Lord our God, and have forsaken him, and turned their faces away from the dwelling place of the Lord, and turned their backs on him. They have also shut up the doors of the festival, that is, the entrance into the temple, but on the lamps, put out the lamps, and not burn incense or offer burnt offerings in the holy place to the God of Israel. So that was the responsibility of the priests. They were to light the seven-branched menorah. They were to, you know, burn incense. Uh, They were to offer burnt offerings and the other offerings that were uh, brought to them. And verse 8, Therefore the wrath of the Lord fell upon Judah and Jerusalem, and he has given them up to trouble, to desolations, and to jeering, as you see with your eyes. Verse 9, For indeed because of this our fathers have fallen by the sword, and our sons and our daughters and our wives are in captivity. Now it is my heart to make a covenant with the Lord God of Israel, that his fierce wrath may turn away from us. I think a real key in verse 10 is, that he says, it's my heart to do this. You know, you can make a covenant, you can, um, you know, make a promise, but is your heart there to do that? Um, you know, is your heart really, Lord, I want to do this with my heart because of my devotion to you, my love for you. And that's the way Hezekiah, he has a real heart for the Lord. He, a heart to make a covenant is what he wanted to do. In verse 11, my sons do be negligent. Now, for the Lord has chosen you to stand before him, to serve him, that you should minister to him and burn incense. And so, again, um, Ahaz had allowed the temple to be defiled and desecrated. And, and there need to be a cleansing that is going to take place. You know, we are called, um, you know, as individuals, uh, our bodies are called the temple of God, isn't it? And, and one of the things that as 
uh, is wonderful in being a Christian is that we've been washed. We've been cleansed, haven't we? We've been cleansed and washed by the blood of Jesus Christ. Praise God for that. Um, But as we go throughout our lives and as we journey through life, because all the rubbish that is out there and all the things that are false and defile us, we can become a little bit dusty and dirty and and, uh, polluted. And it's very important that we have that continual washing that is the washing of the Word of God that comes upon us. It's so important that we do that. And, and Paul would talk about the washing of the water of the Word in Ephesians chapter 5. And Jesus said, you are clean because of the Word that I've spoken to you. So especially in the day in which we're living in, folks, because you know what? It's all around us. You turn on the TV, you, read, you know, look at the billboards, you see the advertisements, anything. It just kind of pollutes us, and, 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 and there's all kinds of things out there that will defile us in our minds, and we need to make sure that we are washing ourselves with the water of the Word. That's why I encourage you to be ones that you are just continually, that you're in the Word of God. It's very important that you are teaching your children the Word of God as well because that cleansing will take place. And then in verse 12, then these Levites arose. And so in verse 12 through 14, you got the names of all these Levites. In verse 12, the three families, the Kothites and the Maronites and the Gershonites, all those that are listed there. And then verse 13, uh, Elisaphan is listed. Um, the sons of Asaph, remember, Asaph was a worship leader under David, and he had a brother that is listed of the sons of Heman. Asaph and Heman, they made up that, that uh, dual worship team that brought worship to the temple um, or getting ready to bring uh, worship to the temple uh, there in Jerusalem uh, day and night. And uh, they wrote some of the psalms that we have in the scriptures. So all these, these Levites are gathered together. And verse 15 tells us they gathered their brethren, sanctified themselves, and went according to the commandment of the king at the words of the Lord to cleanse the house of the Lord. And we read that then the priest went into the inner part of the house of the Lord to cleanse it and brought out all the debris that they found in the temple of the Lord to court of the house of the Lord. And the Levites took it out and carried to the Brook Kedron. The Brook, Brook Kedron is between the Mount of Olives and where the temple stood. And now they began, verse 17 tells us, to sanctify on the first day of the first month. And then on the eighth day of the month, they came to the festival of the Lord. So they sanctified the house of the Lord in eight days. And on the 16th day of the first month, that they finished. So it took the Levites eight days to sanctify the holy place, to carry away the, the, the trash and the rubbish, and eight more days to clean out the courtyard. And then verse 18, they went then to King Hezekiah and said, We have cleansed all the house of the Lord, the altar of burnt offerings and all its articles, and the table to show bread with its articles. And moreover, all the articles which King Ahaz in his reign and cast aside in the transgression, we have prepared and sanctified, and there they are before the altar of the Lord. So the temple's repaired, the implements are restored, and now they're ready for, for temple worship and for this spiritual revival uh, to take place and true temple worship to take place. Let's begin to read about that in verse 20. Then King Hezekiah rose early, gathered the rulers of the city, and went up to the house of the Lord. And they brought seven bulls, seven rams, seven lambs, seven male goats for a sin offering for the kingdom, for the sanctuary, and for Judah. And then he commanded the priests and the sons of Aaron to offer them 
on the altar of the Lord. And so they killed the bulls, and the priest received the blood and sprinkled it on the altar. Likewise, they killed the rams and sprinkled the blood on the altar. They also killed the lambs and sprinkled the blood on the altar. In verse 23, And they brought out the male goat for the sin offering before the king and assembled, and they laid their hands on them. And the priest killed them, and they presented their blood on the altar as a sin offering to make an atonement for all Israel. For the king commanded that the burnt offering and the sin offering be made for all Israel." Now, here's the thing. Here's what's going on. When you go through the book of Leviticus, the first seven chapters, as the Lord was establishing, you know, the ceremonial laws and the religious laws for uh, the nation of Israel out there in the wilderness, as he was preparing the priests and giving them their responsibilities, he says, here are the sacrifices. And so what they would do is bring these animals, either a bull or a goat or a lamb, and they would sacrifice them, and there was different sacrifices. There was the burnt offering that we've read, and then the sin offering. Now, the sin offering could be made for an individual, that if you sinned, you would go to one of your animals in your flock, and you would pick out the one that was the best animal and bring it to the priest, and you would lay your hands on them. And notice here uh, that it says here that we read that, that they laid hands on uh, these um, animals uh, here, as a sin offering before the king, and then also to make atonement for all of Israel. So not only was a sin offering for an individual, but also there was a sin offering for the leaders, as you read Leviticus, of the nation, and then a sin offering for all of the nation. And so here is Hezekiah saying, we need to make a sin offering for all of the nation, for all of Israel. So they're bringing these animals, laying their hands on them. Now what is that all about? Two important words that as we talk about atonement. First of all, atonement in the Old Testament is the Hebrew word kofar. And it was a covering of sin. And so what they would do is bring that animal, if you brought it individually or here are the priests making this sin offering for the whole nation. And they would lay hands on that animal. Two important words, substitution and transference. That animal... Um, became a substitute for you. And when you laid hands, the priest that is, on that animal, then there was a transference of your sins onto the animals. You confess your sin. As they're confessing the sins of the nation, it would be transferred to that animal, and then that animal, that innocent animal, would become a substitute for the nation, become a substitute for you, for your family individually. And so that was the whole idea of the sin and trespass offering that we read about. And of course, it's a picture of Jesus. Now we do know Leviticus chapter 17 verse 11 tells us that without the shedding of blood, there is no remission of sin. And we know that Hebrews chapter 9 verse 22 repeats that as well. Now we know also that Hebrews chapter 23 to 28 goes on to tell us that Jesus Christ came to make atonement once and for all, to take away sin. So the Old Testament sacrifices that they did for 1,500 years, day in and day out for the nation on Yom Kippur, for the nation here, for individuals who did the sacrifices, it was a picture of the Lamb of God, Jesus Christ, that would come and take away sin once and for all. And um, as he uh, was the perfect Lamb of God, as our sins were placed upon him as he hung on Calvary's cross. He became sin. 
He who knew no sin became sin that we might become the righteousness of God in Christ. And all of our sins were placed upon him and he became the substitute for you and for me. He died in place of us and for us. We're the ones that should have died. But he ended up taking the wrath of God and dying in our place. So substitution and transference, very important. And the Old Testament sacrifices just pointed and were a covering, didn't completely take away sin until Jesus Christ came and took away sin once and for all. So that's what's going on here with the sacrifices. And then also we see that the burnt offering um, is also mentioned as well. Now in Leviticus chapter 1, you will read about the burnt offering. And a burnt offering was a, where you brought an animal, and that animal was completely consumed on the altar. And it was a free will offering, and it was an uh, offering of worship. It was an offering uh, that symbolized that I consecrate myself completely, I surrender myself completely to you. And it was symbolizing the animal being completely burnt. Um, that animal uh, was symbolizing that I could give myself completely to you, Lord. So free will offerings, so they're doing the sin offerings, they're doing these burnt offerings for all of Israel. And then we read in verse 25, And they stationed the Levites in the house of the Lord with cymbals, with string instruments, and with harps, according to the commandment of David, of Gad, and the king's seer, and of Nathan the prophet. For thus was the commandment of the Lord by his prophets. And the Levites stood with the instruments of David, and the priests with the trumpets. And then Hezekiah commanded them to offer the burnt offering on the altar. And when the burnt offering began, the song of the Lord also began with the trumpets and with the instruments of David, king of Israel. So all the assembly worship, the singers sang, and the trumpeters sounded, and all this continued until the burnt offering was finished. And when they had finished offering, the king and all who were present with him bowed in worship. In verse 30, moreover, King Hezekiah and the leaders commanded the Levites to sing praise to the Lord with the words of David and of Asaph the seer. So they sang praises with gladness, and they bowed their heads, and they worshiped. So during the burnt offering, they praised God. There is a direct correlation. You see, when you say, as Romans tells us, to be a living sacrifice unto the Lord, that as you say, Lord, here is my heart, here is my life, I completely surrender to you. That when you consecrate yourself to the Lord, it will include worship to the Lord. And notice in verse 30 here, they sang praise, and as they sang praise, they sang with gladness. You see, as you are one that you surrender yourself to the Lord, it's going to be an act of worship to the Lord. And then it's going to bring gladness to you as well. You do it with gladness. You do it with thanksgiving. And they're all directly correlated. You see, if you don't have gladness and you don't have thanksgiving, then you're not going to have praise. And if you don't have praise, then chances are you're going to hold back from the Lord. And you're not going to be given all that he wants from you, all of your heart and all of your devotion and all of your love to him. So they are closely correlated. Consecrate yourself to the Lord, which will include worship to the Lord, which will bring gladness because you are doing it with a heart of thanksgiving to the Lord. In verse 31, and then Hezekiah answered and said, Now what you have, consecrate yourselves to the Lord. Come near and bring sacrifice and thank offerings to the house of the Lord. So there was thanksgiving. So the assembly brought in sacrifices and thank offering. 
And as many as were a willing heart brought burnt offerings, and they did it willingly. The sacrifices were brought willingly to the people. And of course, you guys know this, to be a living sacrifice to the Lord, we need to do that willingly and freely. That's the way the Lord wants us to, that he made a covenant with his heart. Lord, I freely and willingly give you my heart. I give you my praise. I give you my devotion. And in verse 32, And a number of burnt offerings which the assembly brought was 70 bulls, 100 rams, 200 lambs, and all these were a burnt offering to the Lord. And the consecrated things were 600 bulls and 3,000 sheep. But the priests were too few, so that they could not skin all the burnt offerings. Therefore their brethren, the Levites, helped them until the work was ended and until the other priests had sanctified themselves. For the Levites were more diligent in sanctifying themselves than the priests. And also the burnt offerings were in abundance, and the fat of the peace offerings, and with the drink offerings for every burnt offering. So the service of the house of the Lord was set in order. And then as we finish the chapter, then Hezekiah and all the people rejoiced that God had prepared the people, and since the events took place so suddenly. So much sacrifice being done here. That some of the priests didn't you know, sanctify themselves, and so the Levites that were more diligent in doing that, they had to help the priests in the sacrifices. They rolled up their sleeves, and they would help out. You know, one of the things that blesses me, and we'll end with this, because we're not going to have time to go into chapter 30, which I was hoping that we would. But one of the things that really has blessed me is how many of you roll up your sleeves to do the work of the Lord? And it may not just be here at Calvary Chapel, but other ministries that you do and other ways that you minister. And it's a blessing to see that. And these guys said, you know what? We are sanctified by you. In other words, sanctification, that word simply means to be set apart. The Levites were set apart for the ministry of the Lord at the house of the Lord. And you have been set apart as well for service to the Lord and even here at the house of the Lord. There has been so much that has gone on here at Calvary Chapel and I just love just watching people get involved and get excited about ministry. To do it as a devotion to the Lord and thanks to the Lord uh, with just a gladness of heart not doing it because it's a burden or they feel like they have to. But it's wonderful to see just people getting involved in the work of the kingdom. And I want to encourage you as we uh, are going to be entering into a new year, that perhaps you've been praying about how is it that I can get involved? How is it that I can serve you? That the Lord will show you. And the Lord desires for you to come alongside to however he wants to use you and the gifts he's given to you and opportunities that he opens up to you to be used of him, whether it's in these four walls or perhaps in other places where he has placed you, certainly in our homes, to roll up your sleeve and get involved in doing the work of the Lord. And I'll tell you what, it's a great joy. And it will bring great gladness to you as you do that. Father, we thank you so much for opportunity to be in your word here tonight and maybe we didn't get as far as we wanted to but lord this is a good place for us to stop to see the spiritual revival in um, coming to the nation because a leader had a heart to make a covenant with you to desire to make the place the house of the lord a place where you are honored and lord you are truly worshiped Father, I do pray tonight 
that, Lord, as we now come to the communion table, that it wouldn't just be something that we do on the first Wednesday of the month as a, an exercise or tradition, but, Lord, that truly that as we think about all the sacrifices that they were doing here, I'm so glad that we live on this side of the cross. That you sent your son to establish the new covenant because the old covenant needed to be void. It wasn't enough. All the sacrifices of all these animals, thousands of them, was not enough to completely take away sin. It was only a covering till Jesus Christ, the perfect Lamb of God, came because of his love for us. And Lord, I pray that we would never lose the impact of that in our devotion to you, in our service to you. Lord, that we would never lose that impact at the Christmas season. Lord, that you loved us so much that you gave your only begotten Son. That whosoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. A world that was hopeless. No hope apart from Jesus coming and dying for our sins. And as we come now to the communion table, that Lord, as we hold the elements in our hands, giving thanks to you, remembering the words of Jesus as he established communion there last time he was with his disciples in that upper room. That he would take the the cup, the bread. He would take the bread and break it and said, this is my body broken for you. Take and eat. Do this in remembrance of me. And then the cup, this is the cup of the new covenant in my blood. As often as you drink it, Do this in remembrance of me. That we're doing this in a way of, Lord, just again marveling at what Jesus did for us. As we right now want to give our, Lord, devotion to you and thanksgiving and praise to you during this time.